Good morning, St. Michael's. Please stand. Please stand. Good morning, St. Michael's. Please stand. Lord Jesus, we're just so grateful to be here today and to come before you with praise. Lord, take these songs we sing and let them be just a wonderful noise to your ears. Thank you, Jesus. We are tuning out the noise, resting in.
times, but of course today, the first day of the new season is anything but ordinary. It's Trinity Sunday, and that's why we say, blessed be God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And blessed be His kingdom, now and forever. Amen. <clears throat> Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Jesus said, the first commandment is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. As we prepare to celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let, let us acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Of all your sins true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace and consolation of his Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Christ, Christ have, have mercy. mercy. Lord, have mercy.
and with your spirit. Let's pray together to Almighty and everlasting God, you have given to us, your servants, grace by the confession of a true faith to acknowledge the glory of the eternal Trinity and in the power of your divine majesty to worship the unity. Keep us steadfast in this faith and worship. Then bring us at last to see you in your one and eternal glory, O Father, who with the Son and the Holy Spirit live and reign, one God, forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated for the reading of the lessons. chapter 6, verse 1, commencing. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please stand for reading of the psalm. This morning's psalm is Psalm 29. Let us read responsibly by the half verse. Give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian, like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of the dead. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. And strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everyone says, Glory. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood. And the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, it is now, and 
Amen. You may be seated. This morning's second reading comes from Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. The word of the Lord. Thanks. Thanks be God. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. John. St. John, chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and you do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's open with a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you came to show us the way of everlasting life. And I pray today as we learn more about who you are and how you've revealed yourself to us, that we would be transformed to be sons and daughters of God. More and more in your likeness, Lord. I pray that you'd open our minds, open our ears, and open our hearts to hear the words that you would speak this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So today is Trinity Sunday, 
which of course we all know is the simplest of all Christian doctrine. The idea that God is three people, but he's actually one person, and he's one being, and he's this, that, and the other thing. Even in what I just said, you could probably find a heresy because it's so complicated. So as we talk about the Trinity today, I want to reassure you, this is not going to be a history lesson. It's not going to be a theology lesson. I just want to talk about the God who loves you. When I was praying about this service, because even that gospel lesson, Jesus says all these things that are just way difficult to understand for me, which means it's not going to be easy for me to tell you what I think it might mean. And I was getting a little overwhelmed, and God said, you know what? Why don't you just talk about me? Why don't you just tell them who I am? So if you get anything this morning, listen for who God is. Is God Jesus? Yes. Is God the Father? Yes. Is God the Holy Spirit? Yes. That's the limit of my Trinitarian dialectic to this morning, okay? As long as you know that, we're all good. So in all of history, we've actually been asking and having the same conversations. If you look throughout the Babylonian era, you look at the Romans, the Greeks, you even look at the ancient Confucian monks and the ancient Eastern mythology, we've all been asking the same question, and that is, who is God? It's only recently that people have tried to take the cop out and say, well, there is no God. In the past 6,000 years of human history, that's only come up in the past 100 years as a serious answer to the question. Right? Because there's something in us that calls out that there must be more than just what we can see. There must be someone out there who created everything that is. There must be a purpose. There must be something deeper. There's this idea, I'm going to talk about a couple of ideas about why we care that God is three persons. There's this idea that you hear sometimes that a married couple in trouble will say, well, why don't we just have a baby and that will solve the problem? It's a dramatic oversimplification, but there are people who do this, who think that in their marriage their problems will be solved if they have a kid and that that will somehow make them a real family and they can get over everything. We all know instinctively that's not how it works. Having a kid out of brokenness and insecurity is not the same thing as having a kid out of an abundance of love between a man and a woman, as God designed it to be. And do you know what? The same thing can be said for how we understand God. There's a way in which people can talk about God, especially people who aren't Christians, where he created human beings to complete himself or that we are somehow one with him. We're the divine. He created us so that he could have an expression of himself. And I'm here to tell you today that actually God created us out of an abundance of love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The important thing about the Trinity is that the fundamental character and nature of God is that he is love. That he loves the world that he created. That he loves the people he created. We're so cynical today about our world. It's not uncommon to hear somebody say, well, if God created this world, I don't want to believe in him. Because it's so awful. That's just not true. God himself loved the world even before he sent his son to die for the world. It's actually barely pretty logical 
Why did God send his son to die for the world if he hated the world? Well, there's one answer. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This world that we live in, the one that's full of tragedy and pain and death, that same world is the world that God so loves. If you've grown up thinking that God is a heavenly taskmaster, especially if you read in the Old Testament, right? He hates us. We're not good enough. He had this pour out that uncontrollable wrath that he had bottled up inside of him because we betrayed him. He had to pour it out on his son on the cross in order for us to even talk to God. That's not the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is that even though from the very beginning, God tried to connect with us, to love us, to father us, to lead us, to give us all good things. We turn from him again and again and again. If you read the Bible, that's really what happens. He saves their bacon, and then they go and serve other gods. He gets them out of the trouble that they put themselves in, and then they go and they abandon the worship of God. Sounds familiar. I do that in my own life. God saves me out of a difficult situation, and the very next time I have an opportunity, a test, a way to prove that I trust God, I choose to trust myself. I get myself in a a pickle, and God saves me again. I say all this to say that I want to erase the idea of the angry father that some of us have grown up with when we think of who God is. I want to just take that completely out of our minds. Instead, think about the Father who is cheering you on, who every time you stumble is there to forgive you, lift you up, and set you to rights. Not because he feels better when you do something good, but because he wants your goodness. It's like being a dad. I know I use my children as illustrations all the time, but there's a reason why God is known as the father, because it's the clearest demonstration that I know of, of the way that he views us. When I see Rowan stumble and fall, and man, it can be really frustrating. There's still a part of me at every single time. All I want is for him to succeed. All I want for him is to get up and try again. To have that joy and that laughter that just makes my heart glad. And yet we treat God like he is a taskmaster or a judge. And when we fail, our first instinct is often to run away from him. Let's not be so cynical about the world that God loves. Let's not be so cynical about ourselves. He actually came so that he could have relationship with you as you are. You don't have to be the best Christian in the world for God to want to hang out with you. You just have to be you right where you're at. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to get to know you as his son, as his daughter. From the very beginning, when God created the world, he knew that you were going to get mad at your spouse last week. He knew that you were going to flip off that guy on the freeway. I've never done it, I swear. But he knew that you were going to get mad at that person who cut you off on the freeway. He knew that you were going to eat too much food on Thanksgiving. He knew all the classic sins that we are well familiar with, that we are well aware of. He knew all of that, and he even knew that one sin that you think nobody could ever forgive you for. That shameful thing that you've never confessed He knew it, 
And yet he still made the world. He still made you. He still died for you. Because he loves you. Not some version of you that you think is the best Christian in the world, that you could be someday, but who you are today. So when we talk about the Trinity, what I want you to hear is not a complex theological dogma that you have to memorize and affirm. I want you to hear a relationship of love that is overflowing with love for you, from which everything was created. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, this is the crazy thing. I don't know if I would spend eternity with any of you. I'm just saying, you might be fun for an evening, but I don't know if I want to spend eternity with you. And yet God came that you would spend eternity with him. I think he knows something that we forget. Every person in this room has eternal significance. Like he wants to spend every day of the rest of eternity with you. I can only imagine how great we will become as he transforms us from glory to glory. Someday I might be worth spending eternity with if he has his way, right? Thank God. And the second verse we didn't read in the gospel, we started with that classic John 3.16 that you see everywhere. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that those who believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That means that your annoying boss or your really frustrating student or your whoever, fill in the blank, that person that you think I could never love them, well, God loves them enough to die for them. You think you could participate in that love? God loves this world. God loves these people. And if there's anything that's going to change the world, it's going to be us learning to love like he loves. Period. End of story. If you take anything away from this life, it's to learn to love like Jesus did. Because you know what? You could have all the programs in the world. You could feed millions of poor people. You could heal the sick. You could raise the dead. But if you don't love somebody, it's like a clanging gong or a crashing cymbal. It's nothing. What changes people's hearts is the love that you show them, right? We all know that. We all know that. There are people in our life who may help us out. They may even be useful to us in some way, but they don't love us, and it's fine. Thank you. And then there are people in our life who, I mean, children come to mind as well, right? Rowan doesn't do all that much for me. He doesn't even take out the trash yet. But man, he loves me. He loves me the best that his little heart can, right? And that is more valuable than any amount of chores that I will for sure make him do as he grows up, right? But seriously, we have to remember that because sometimes we treat people like if we do good things for them, then they should just like be good. Like I did a good thing for you, so you should like me, or I did a good thing for you, so you should go to church, or I did a good thing for you, so I should feel good. We're told over and over again in Scripture, if you didn't love anybody, it doesn't matter what you did. So when we're engaging with people, there are probably people in your life who need to know the love of Jesus. How do you get them to know the love of Jesus? Do you buy their groceries? Maybe. But first and foremost, you love them. How can you love the people in your life? 
because it's this weird symbiotic cycle. It's weird and beautiful and eternally good. And it's that God loves the Holy Spirit, who loves Jesus, who loves God, right? They all love each other. Out of the abundance of love that they have for each other, they create the beautiful world and everything that is. And that cycle is not meant to stop. Then us who are put on this world are meant to continue the love from God to others. And then that love gets returned right back to him. And ultimately, it sounds kind of like a 60s love fest, right? It's not. It's not. I don't know if I have the time to explain why it's not. But our love is about dying for one another, laying down our lives to serve one another, heroically going out and championing championing one another, right? Our love is in serving one another. We're continuing the love that God loved us. It says we love because we are first love. So this morning when I talk about God, I want you to know that he loves you. Because you can't love others until you know that fundamental fact. Jumping into Romans, Paul's trying to explain over and over. If you just read Paul, all he's trying to explain is how the love of God works. If you read a verse of Paul, say, what's he trying to explain? He's trying to explain how the love of God works from God to us and from us to our neighbors and back from us to God, right? So he says in Romans chapter 8, verse 12, so then, he just finished explaining that God has set us free. So because God has set us free, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Very much Christianese language here, right? He's talking about we're debtors. What's a debtor? It's somebody who owes something. What's he saying here? He's saying because God set us free, we actually owe God everything. So maybe you're thinking, okay, great. We've been talking about this God. We're talking about this overflowing love that he has for us. But there's a catch. He wants my whole life? Yeah. (laughs) But the reason he wants your whole life is explained As he continues, for if you live according to the flesh, which means if you live your own life as if it's your own, if you live as if you should be in charge of your life, you're going to die. But if instead you live by the spirit that God's given you, the one we talked about at Pentecost last week, if instead you live following God, then you'll live. So what's the catch here? The catch is I bought you with a price, God says to us. You owe me your entire life. But I'm not even doing that because it'll make me feel better. I'm still doing that because it's the only way that you can truly live. The only way. It's written a couple times, both in the old and the new. I set before you today the choice. It's death or life. Right? And yet we're pretty stubborn when God tries to lead us in any direction that doesn't line up with our own. We're pretty stubborn. Reminds me, last night, uh, Haley and I took our kids out to Hoppa Jay's. Great little restaurant. And we're sitting there eating, and I'm trying to get both Rowan and Ruby to eat their food. And for some reason, they're just not having it. And so Ruby, my wonderful two-year-old, almost two-year-old daughter, I'm trying to give her this Portuguese, Spanish, uh, Portuguese rice that they have. It's pineapple sausage. It's just fantastic. I love it. She's eaten it before. She loves it. I'm trying to give it to her in place of her macaroni and cheese that she doesn't seem to want to eat. And she's like, mm, 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 mm. might have lost the microphone here, but she is trying to avoid the spoon, right? She, can't, she will not have it. 
Finally, I get her to take a bite. It's her favorite thing in the world. She can't have enough of it. And I just kept thinking, like, this is what we do to God all the time. He's like, let me lead you here. Let me take you there. Let me guide you in how you parent your kids and how you work at your job and the car you buy, whatever it is. He wants to guide us. And we just turn and we want to do it our own way. What's going on in Ruby's life? It's rebellion. It's stubbornness. It's pride. It's the same thing in us. Yes, even in a little two-year-old child, it says rebellion's bound up in the heart of a child. Well, it's bound up in our hearts too. And I just love these examples that I learned from my kids because it makes it so much easier. We, we try and paint over our decisions with justifications and rationalities. Well, I'm doing this because it's wise, because it'll make me the most money, because my wife wants me to, because this will make me happy. We give all these justifications. We complicate matters when we're really just the two-year-old kid saying no to our father, right? Sometimes we just need to take a deep breath and ask God what he wants us to do. God, what do you want me to do here? I'll tell you, it helps when we follow him. It seems to work out. I love my life. Occasionally it comes up. Somebody in my life I've got a friend who published this book about zombies, and man, am I jealous. Jealous that he published a book, that he wrote a book, that it's entertaining, that I enjoyed it. I would love to write a book, even about zombies. I'm a nerd. I love that. So fun. And I could get so jealous of him for having that. He got reviewed in this science fiction magazine, all this stuff, right? But it just takes one second of honest reflection to say, you know, I don't want his life. I want to be where God's put me. I can't imagine a better place than where God's put me. Right here, right now. And Haley and I have that back and forth conversation. But wouldn't you want to do this? Or wouldn't you want to do that? And at the end, both of us are left saying, no, (laughs) this is better. This is better than anything else that we could do. Because we're following God. And we can see the blessing in our life at the places where we've decided to turn away from our own desires, our own will. So I'm talking about who God is, and I want you to know he is a loving father, and when you say yes to him, you have life. And when you say no to him, you only reap death. Not because he wanted to rig the system and he wants to punish you. That's just the way the world is. It's just the way the world is. So let's continue in this passage, and let's get to Probably the most significant realization in all of scriptures. In verse 14, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We're going to stop for a moment and we're just going to take a quick look at a brief video that you might have seen before. Uh, that will hopefully put some context to this scripture here. I think we will. Well, there's one more gift. We have one more it's gift. It's not from Grammy, but Do we have the sound back yeah. there, Christian? It's another gift. Channel 2930. Why don't you careful open it up? I want you to read it. I'm going to be adopted. Always be 
Man, it gets me. It really gets me. Why does that resonate with us? Because it's the way that God built the world, that we are not orphans. We are not orphans. And we're not just talking about your biological mother and father. We're talking supernaturally, eternally. God, the father of all, has adopted us to be his heirs, his sons and daughters. Why is she weeping? Because she knows right there her whole life has changed. Her identity has changed. She now belongs to someone. She's no longer a slave to fear because her parents are going to look out for her. I can't imagine what it's like on earth to go about as an an orphan. In this case, she was passing from foster home to foster home, and then somebody adopted her. I can't imagine that moment, but at the same time, it's illustrative. That's what God wants to do to us. We're so lost until we find our satisfaction in him. I've mentioned it's, I think, one of the most significant realizations in all of Scripture, because up until Jesus comes, we thought that God wanted to be served well. And then Jesus showed us, actually, no, God wants us to be his sons in his family united with him in that mutual outpouring of love that he already has in the Trinity, right? And so what do we have because of that love? We have no more fear. Are you afraid? Are you afraid for your health? Because who knows what disease or what ailment might befall you? Well, guess what? Your father, your father's the guy who created everything that is. Your father's the one who can heal. Your father's the one that even should you die, he will raise you from the dead. Right? It's a crazy message. It makes no sense in light of the world except through the power of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? There's nothing in the world that tells us that that's the truth. Underneath everything, underneath all the suffering, underneath all the death and pain is a God who loves you and will redeem everything. And all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. In fact, the only way to get people to believe this message was for God to come to earth to live and die and raise again. Because people couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe it. But now we inherit a faith that has been proven by the miraculous love of God and has transformed the world. That's another thing you learn in history. Did you know that because Jesus came, the whole world is different than it used to be? I won't get into all the ways that it's changed, but I'll mention just one thing. The idea of giving alms to the poor, of loving even those rejects and outcasts like lepers, um, COVID victims, (laughs) um, anybody, right? The idea of loving those people, homeless people, people who are insane, the idea of loving them, that didn't exist in the world before Jesus came. If you look at the societies, there was a very particular way that you treated outcasts, and that was you got them as far away from you as possible. That's what you did. But because Jesus came and because 11 disciples who ended up adding another to be one of the leaders of the church taught the love of Christ, the whole world has now shifted. And now even those who don't know Christ know it's a good thing to love those 
who are unlovable. There's a lot more there that I'm not going to touch on, but trust me when I say this. The world is not as bad as we think it is. It also is in need of a Savior. And I can't emphasize that enough. Turn on the news. You'll find out. People need Jesus. But we can't lose hope. God is on the move. He's adopting sons and daughters to now be representatives of his love to the world. And there's no end to that family. Everything changes because we are not just Jesse and Lewis and Mia and Chris and Daniel. We're not just those people. We are sons of God. We're Christians. We are marked as Christ's own forever. Our identity is no longer in ourselves, our accomplishments, or our abilities, but in our relationship to God the Father. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the end of our New Testament passage today, and he continues, right? So we're, he gives us the big promise. He goes, okay, so you're adopted as sons and daughters of God. You're heirs with Jesus, which, I mean, what does Jesus own? Everything, right? What does Jesus not own? Nothing. There's nothing Jesus doesn't own. He has Everything. He has been exalted, the name above all names, king of all kings. He is the one in whom we live and move and have our being. He holds the universe together. And he's like, yeah, you're going to be heirs with that guy. It's a little better than being the heir of Bill Gates. Okay, quite a bit better than being the heir of Bill Gates, right? Because there is nothing that Jesus does not have. And so that's why he says, if God gave you his son, why wouldn't he give you all things? I have a great recording of Bishop Adler back in the day preaching a sermon, and he was reading that verse, and he goes, all things! You know how he used to yell, and he's slamming the pulpit. I just had to do that. But the point is, we are co-heirs of all things. And then he slips in this little note right in the middle there. And this is the tension in which we live. If you love Jesus, sorry, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided... We suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. That's the tension. Last story and we'll wrap it up. My wonderful wife, Haley, didn't find the Lord of the Rings very appealing early on in her life. (laughs) Wasn't her speed, right? And it's my favorite trilogy, my favorite movie, my favorite books. I mean, I just love the Lord of the Rings. She baked this little treat for us because she finally decided she was going to watch Lord of the Rings with me. She's going to endure it, right? And she baked this treat, and she sent me a picture. She goes, you know what this is? And I'm like, that's the Limbus Elven bread. That's the wonder. And she's like, you're such a nerd. <laughs> like, what? How do you know? I say all that to prep it up, right? We're watching Lord of the Rings. So we got through the first movie in the past couple nights, and oh, it's glorious. She likes it a little bit, right? Okay, a little bit. She's putting up with it. Um... There's a really interesting motif throughout the Lord of the Rings. This is J.R.R. Tolkien, a Christian man who's living through World War II as he's writing these things down. So he's thinking deeply about what it means that evil and good have to fight each other in the world. And there's this idea from the first page. You know what? For whatever reason, while you're reading it, you're never in doubt that good will win. But you know what? 
Lots of people have to die in between the beginning of that book and the end of that book in order for good to win. Lots of pain and suffering has to happen. Lots of people have to say yes to God in order for good to win by the end of the Lord of the Rings. And that's the story that we're living. There's no doubt that we win. We sang that today. The victory is yours, right? There's no doubt that we win. It's just a question of are you going to say yes to God in the meantime? Because for whatever reason, just like in Lord of the Rings, he chose the most unlikely heroes, the hobbits, who are short, fat, and not athletic at all, right? They're just like sipping their tea, smoking their pipes. I mean, they're happy, content in their little country. There's no reason to pick hobbits. And yet he picks hobbits. It's like us. We're chosen to go on the great adventure of our life, to bring salvation to the world. For whatever reason, God chooses to work through you and me. So will you say yes to God? I could go on and on about how great the Lord of the Rings is. I'm going to stop myself short and just say this. If you participate with God in your own cross and bearing it, the promise is you'll be a co-heir with Christ and you'll be glorified with him. It is worth it. And in the meantime, you might save your family. You might save your community. And all of us together, all billions of Christians around the world, if we say yes to God, guess what? He can save the whole world. Amen? We begin by our declaration to God, to our fellow man, and to the devil. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and is seated on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. And I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let us pray for the church and for the world. Father, we pray for your holy Catholic church. That we all may be one. Grant that every member of the church may truly and humbly serve you that your name may be glorified by all people. We pray for all bishops, priests, and deacons, 
that they may be faithful ministers of your word and sacraments. We pray for all who govern and hold authority in the nations of the world. That there may be justice and peace on the earth. Give us grace to do your will in all that we undertake. That our works may find favor in your sight. Have compassion on those who suffer from any grief or trouble. That they may be delivered from their distress. Give to the departed eternal rest. Let light perpetual shine upon them. We praise you for your saints who have entered into joy. May we also come to share in your heavenly kingdom. All we ask in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The peace of the Lord be always with you. And with With your your spirit. spirit. Turn and greet your neighbor with the peace of God. Hello. (laughs) All right, everybody. I want to share a couple of announcements with you before we start communion. Uh, We've got a couple of events coming up in June. Uh, The next one is going to be our annual rummage sale uh, coming up on June 12th. Uh, Kelly will be your main contact. Talk to her. Uh, we have a room here where you can leave your donations so they don't get left around the building. And we're hoping that they have a great turnout for that and make some money here. Amen. Uh, after that, we have men's meeting coming up in June. And I'm just excited on, on these men's meetings because we're, we're kind of making a, a place here where ministries can happen. Uh, we want to keep doing that. Uh, keep setting up spots where, where ministry can happen on this property here and where people feel free to minister. So we want to make everyone, uh, you know, make them a place and so that they don't feel like there's nowhere where they can pitch in. And last, I'm really excited about this, and I hope my kids are too, but uh, the youth retreat is a real thing. And it's got dates. It's going to be August 5th through 7th. Uh, up in Big Bear, and all of you youths, sign up. Amen. Amen. All right. I'll just mention, due to uh, COVID restrictions with the uh, youth retreat, we had to pick a venue that was a little smaller than we normally do. So sign up now. There's plenty of spots for all you in here, but just make sure you get your name on the roster um, with Kristen for the youth retreat. As we prepare to receive the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist, let us respond to God's word by engaging with him in musical worship and presenting to God our tithes and offerings out of that which God has given to us. Together, through Christ, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. But do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God.
you know, Karen and I, that uh, a good friend of ours in St. Michael's, Scott McGurk, went to be with the Lord, uh, having a memorial service at Mariner's Church this week, and some of you may want to attend that service. What time is it, Karen? Two o'clock. And what day? Friday the 4th. Okay, thank you. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. Father, all-powerful and ever-living God, we do well always and everywhere to give you thanks to Jesus Christ our Lord. For with thy co-eternal Son and Holy Spirit, thou art one God, one Lord, in trinity of persons and in unity of substance. And we celebrate the one and equal glory of Thee, O Father, and of Son, and of Holy Spirit. And so with all the choir and angels in heaven, we proclaim Your glory. We join in Your unending hymn. 
fountain of all holiness. Let your Holy Spirit come upon these gifts to make them holy, so they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Before he was given up to death, a death he freely accepted, he took bread and gave it to his disciples. And he said, take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Later, when supper was ended, he took the cup again. He gave thanks and praise. He gave it to them, and he said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Let us proclaim this mystery of faith. Christ, Christ has died, died, but Christ, Christ is risen. risen. Christ, Christ will, will come again. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Father, this life-giving bread, this saving cup. We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and to serve you. May all of us who share in the body and blood of Jesus be brought together in unity by the Holy Spirit. Lord, remember your church throughout the world and make us grow in love together with our patriarch, Craig, and all of our clergy. <coughs> Remember especially those this morning we pray for, Connie and Susan and Carl, Serena, Naomi, Nadia, Kyle and Sonia and Maria, Sandra, Karen, Tammy and Kyla, the McGurk family, Gavin and Shane, and the Marines and Sailors from Camp Pendleton. Draw our hearts to remember the poor and the broken. And as we receive the body and blood of Jesus, may we be transformed to become the body of Christ to the world. Have mercy on us all. Make us worthy to share eternal life with the apostles and the martyrs and all the saints who have gone before us. May we praise you in union with them and give you glory to your Son, Jesus Christ. By him and with him and in him and the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty God and Father now and forever. Amen. <clears throat> Jesus taught us to call God our Father, and so we have courage to pray. Our Father, Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Hallelujah. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Grant us thy peace. The gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and heed on them in your heart with thanksgiving. Blessed are those who are called to the supper of the Lamb. The body of the cup of his salvation, the blood of the Lord.
Thanksgiving, let us pray. Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have fed us with spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart through Christ our Lord. Who is that kid? You know, you do that kid who was going on and The on. Hallelujah girl? Yeah. That's Ruby, my wonderful daughter. <laughs> Man. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us. The battle would be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who wander through the world seeking the ruin of our souls. Remember the gospel, God was in Christ Jesus reconciling. Reconciling the world to himself and not counting men's sins against him. He loves us. He's forgiven us. He's not mad at us. Best of all, he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you. May they always. Amen.